Bad. <laughs> but quick to the festival, all sails ahead. Right. Pirate noises. Ambiance. We'll gather. Sie geschwind, 
Wann wird man je verstehen? Wann wird man je That is song I know. I'm tired of moon songs, of star and of June songs They simply make me nap And ditties romantic drive me nearly frantic I think they're all full of pap History's making, nations are quaking Why sing of stars above? For while we are waiting Father time's creating new things 
significance All other tunes are taboo I want a ditty with heat in it Appealing with feeling and meat in it Sing me a song with social significance Or you can sing till you're blue Let meaning shine from every line Or I won't love you Sing me of wars and sing me of bread lines Tell me of front page news Sing me of strikes and last minute headlines Dress your observation in syncopation Sing me a song with social significance There's nothing else that will do It must get hot with what is what Or I won't love you I want a song that's satirical Putting the mirror into miracle Everybody, this is the B, and you're tuned to Mutiny Radio's Labor and Love Show, broadcast from the heart of San Francisco's Mission District every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, today I played two of the saddest songs I know. Uh, of course, one is Joan Baez singing uh, Where Have All the Flowers Gone in German, Sag mir, wo die Blumen sind. And of course, the answer is a circular thing. Uh, we keep having wars and hating wars, and how much we hate it, then we have another one so we can remember. And then uh, Elmer, Elmer James with The Sky is Crying, The Sky is Crying Baby. See the tears roll down the street in Gaza. Sky is Crying Bomb. Bunch of innocent people. Who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and now they're sitting ducks. <clears throat> they're fish in a barrel. They can't stay where they are, and they can't move anywhere. They just have to wait to get shot or victimized in some way or pushed around to go live somewhere else. And, uh, well, let's see. 
included. Got uh, stories about Sarah Nelson, Amy Sue, labor people. Got our regular radio labor show. National Labor Relations Board in connection with Julie Sue, who is acting Labor Relations Board member. History of that August group. Starbucks employees walking out on Red Cap Day. What's happening in Sweden with Elon Musk? Swedish Union lining up against him. We've got some cases from Read It, the Read It account called Quit Work. Check that out too. Um. The BDS movement, which I want to talk about right away because that's apropos of what we're talking about. Two credos before we start. This is our thing that we want to leave on this show. Sort of articles of faith, I suppose, that we have always stood by. And one of those, of course, is justice for the people of Palestine. All right. Credos. Very Okay, immigrants, big emphasis on immigrants. The Republican Party has made this a national issue. And it seems like with history, as history comes and goes, our attitude towards um, immigrants changes. If we need the immigrants for cheap labor, we figure out ways to bring them in here. But we don't want them staying here because that would mean they're, a, they're trying to take over our country. This is an article of faith with the Magas that people of color are coming to the U.S. to replace white people therefore they'll be able to vote whenever they want and get whatever they want anyway here's this this is from really american archive jesse mimmer can i tell you a secret i don't even care if they're undocumented in this country without social security numbers they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get 
the vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals, is just 1%, the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they're all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains. Existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. Because the people who control everything refuse to increase their wages. Pretty elementary. You're, you're poor because you're not getting paid enough. How about that? How about uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti? Okay. The rich have many people brainwashed using hate to keep them in power. This is how they do it, by turning us against one. Okay. Davis. BDS movement, freedom, justice, and beauty. Targeted consumer boycotts are convincing realtors across the world to stop selling products from Profiting Israeli is part of the export of products. Palestinian BDS committee (PMC) calls for a boycott of Israel. International companies that are complicit in the violation of Palestine. We're not talking about revenge for October 7th. We're not talking about a reaction to that. Whether that's right or wrong. 
clear, but keep it going. Focused on revenge. This is a long view of what could happen by boycotting this game. Focus our boycotts on a small number of companies and products for maximum impact. Focus on companies play a clear and direct role in crime, where we think we can have an impact. The BNC is currently encouraging consumer boycotts of the following products and brands. So again, this is a way of attacking uh, what you consider to be international crime occupation of Palestine, apartheid regime during times of quote-unquote peace, and the ongoing push by Israel and her settlers, quote-unquote settlers, to move the Palestinians out and get rid of them. They tell Palestinians in the north, you better get out, we're coming, so where are they supposed to go? Where are the little kids supposed to go? Where are the women supposed to go? This is war on a whole population. Okay, Hewlett Packard, A, consumer boycott. Hewlett Packard helps run the biometric ID system that Israel uses to restrict Palestinian movement. More mo information. Website. But we're on a, a website that says bdsmovement.net. So Hewlett Packard. Siemens. Siemens is complicit in apartheid Israel's legal illegal settlement enterprise through its planned construction of the Euro-Asia Interconnected. This will link Israel's electricity grid with Europe's, allowing illegal settlements on stolen Palestinian land to benefit from Israel-EU trade. That's Siemens, big chemical AXA, AXA, U.S. and Israeli Bank, Puma sponsors the Israeli Football Association, which includes teams in Israel's legal settlements on 
occupied Palestinian land. Israeli fruits and vegetables. Fruits, vegetables, and wines from Israel are often wrongly labeled produce and in Israel. They really come from stolen Palestinian land. Boycott all produce from Israel in the supermarket Soda Stream. Soda Stream is actively actively complicit in Israel's policy of displacing the indigenous Bedouin Palestinian citizens of Israel in the Nagab Negev Desert. Soda Stream has a long history of mistreatment of and and discrimination against Palestinian workers. Hava. Hava Cosmetics has its production site visitor center main store in Eagle and Israeli settlement. Finally, Sabra, they make hummus. My favorite. Sabra hummus is a joint venture between PepsiCo Strauss Group, an Israeli food company that in, that provides financial support to the What else can I do? Check out all these pages. Again, we're on bbsnews.net. Boycotts. about barcodes on Israeli products. Usually if it says 729 product of Israel. Yes, movement call for a boycott of all Israeli products or just products and companies from illegal Israeli settlements. Boycott of all the products of all Israel national companies and <coughs> Pardon me. So that's it. Get involved in proactive work. Talking about the Israeli people, the substantial group of people in Israel who want a ceasefire right now. Our president Okay. It's time for our weekly labor, world labor. Labor. Solidarity News on Radio Labor. 
This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, November 17th, 2023. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, a special program on how to organize app workers into unions. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. It's our union, our union that defends our rights. But our union's as strong as our will is to fight. This is Radio Labor. So, you're fed up with your job. You and your coworkers are being treated unfairly. And you decide it's time to do something about it. You want to organize at your workplace. For app-based platform workers, though, these questions can be really complicated. For one thing, there is no central workplace. Gig work is isolating by design. So, what do we do? That is Shauna Bader-Blau, the executive director of the Solidarity Center in the United States. The center is the largest U.S.-based international workers' rights organization. As part of a six-episode series, it has produced a podcast on how app workers, workers who are managed by computer applications, can organize into unions. Here's Ms. Bader-Blau. Today, we take the bird's-eye approach with two of our stellar organizers within the Solidarity Center. Sarah McKenzie is our Director of Program Strategy and Innovation and has 29 years of experience in the labor movement. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, Shauna. Andrew Tillett-Sachs serves as the Solidarity Center's Trade Union Strengthening Director and has experience organizing workers in both the U.S. and around the globe. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Hi, Shauna. Thanks for having me. Why does this work matter to both of you? Why should anyone care? After COVID, we saw a massive increase, right, in uh, platform-based work, app-based work. You know, when we think about the future of work, that's where we see it headed, right? And if we're going to make sure that workers' rights are upheld and that we continue to create decent workplaces, we've got to care, right? We've got to care about where the work is going and where the workers are. I completely agree with uh, Sarah. This is a tactic being used by employers specifically to disempower workers and to try to break and prevent worker organization. If the labor movement doesn't figure out how to organize platform workers in mass, it's going to spell bad consequences for the entire labor movement, platform and non-platform. Right? I think employers will continue to shift more and more towards this organization work if they think it's a way to avoid uh, having to be accountable to their workers, a way to avoid labor unions. And so I think in, in terms of trying to build the whole global labor movement, it's really the nut that uh, the global labor movement has to crack. All right. So the stakes are extremely high, it sounds like. So let's just figure this out together. What do we do? Like, what are the first steps in organizing? You're a platform worker. You're working in pick any country, bunch of you together. Uh, you're facing terrible working conditions. What are the first main phases of organizing? What we've seen from watching workers organize in the platform sector around the world is that they're using some of the tried and true tactics of organizing workers in the labor movement. And they're also innovating with some new tactics. One of the tactics organizing-wise that's been very successful is surveying workers. So... 
in terms of trying to start an organizing campaign, doing the survey of the workers you're trying to organize is a very an effective tactic to do two things. It gives you a sense of what the workers are concerned about, the working condition, which is really essential. You have to really know what issues they care about because those are the things they're going to fight about. It's an organizing maxim. So you have to identify what they are. One of the first steps I've seen in platform organizing that's somewhat new is the need to set up channels of communication because typically workers talk at the workplace. They're next to each other. They're in the same building oftentimes, or at least in the same hub. With platform workers and app-based workers, that's often not the case. And so you have to, as a foundation, set up some way to communicate with a big group of people. In Thailand, delivery workers set up a Facebook page that ended up getting 35,000 followers, and so they could communicate in mass whatever they wanted to. In other countries, you know, they oftentimes set up WhatsApp groups, Telegram, Signal groups, some way that you can start the conversation, and that becomes the foundation to build upon, to build real organization. That's a really necessary first step. But going off of what Andrew said, though, when you look at traditional organizing, right, that contact, worker-to-worker contact, talking to each other, they may do it differently than we do in some of our traditional organizing, but it's got to happen, that relationship building. Because I was always wondering about this as we started organizing platform workers, whether or not they really needed to see each other or is online good enough. At least what I'm seeing more and more is they do build the relationship, may start online, but they do want to see each other. And they do gather. Based on platform workers organizing in other parts of the world, what seem to be some of the other most important elements to success? But also we have to educate folks about this, right? Educating people about their rights. But what's important about that is people can see, okay, these are the rights that we have now. What do we want to change? Um, how do we change laws? And in doing that, um, being able to also educate the broader uh, community around them, right? Because they've got to get support for the legislation and for their their campaign. And and Andrew, like, what do people typically get wrong? There's a lot of mobilizing and not necessarily enough organizing. These initial groups get formed, whether it's a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group. And then the employers, as they tend to do, inevitably do something to piss all the workers off. Usually in this sector, it's changed the algorithm, so it's a wage cut. And people are upset. And they call a protest. And they can mobilize quite a few workers through these communications channels that they've set up. The problem is the the step that's often skipped is building a real organizing structure. And so what happens is after the protest, things kind of dissipate. And so one of the most fundamental pieces of an organizing campaign is identifying your leaders and then building your committee a committee that covers as much of the workplace as you can. You can listen to the full 25-minute podcast about organizing app workers at solidaritycenter.org. Center is spelled C-E-N-T-E-R. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to stories detailing how and why solidarity strikes in support of Tesla workers are spreading across Sweden. 
Starting Friday, dock workers in all Swedish ports will refuse to offload Teslas. Cleaning crews will no longer clean showrooms, and mechanics won't fix charging points. Other top stories this week include a landmark decision affecting the right to strike of workers around the world and the sad and angering news from Hong Kong that the largest teachers union there is completing its own dissolution. The Hong Kong Professional Teachers Union's decision to disband was a direct consequence of the attacks directed at it by China. But my favorite top story of the week came to us from Australia, where the labor movement has created a national commission to collect evidence of price gouging by corporations. The commission held hearings across the country and heard from over 600 organizations and individuals about the effects and the causes of the cost of living crisis. A random sample from our news pages includes articles about the ongoing and deadly garment workers' protests in Bangladesh, a national general strike to protest an assault on a union leader by Nigerian security forces, and the introduction of legislation prohibiting the use of scabs in many Canadian workplaces. On our Working Women news page, you'll find stories about the work that builders' unions in eastern and southern Africa are doing to strengthen the position of women leaders within their unions, the work being done to ensure that the Philippines ratifies ILO Convention 190, and the push for gender equality in Spanish newsrooms. And from the UK, we carried yet more details of the epidemic of sexual and gender harassment at McDonald's restaurants across that country. Stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week include a campaign in the United States of America to ensure worker protection in extreme heat as the effects of global heating become more and more obvious, a partial victory for Australian unions as they campaign for a ban on silicosis causing engineered stone on building sites, and the ongoing efforts to reach and rescue 40 workers trapped in a tunnel in India. Labor Start hosts online solidarity actions at the request of unions around the world. This week, we'd like to highlight urgent appeals for online solidarity with trade union activists in Serbia, Georgia, Iran, and in Mexico. If you can spare just a few seconds, you can do your part in these struggles by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of these and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Robin Roberts with Stand Up For Our Union. Our union story is here to be seen. We've won many victories and suffered defeats. But as I turn through the pages and look back through time, there's one single question stands out in my mind. Today we may prosper, today we live free, but if it weren't for the union, where would we be? It's our union, our union that defends our rights, but our union's as strong as our will is to fight. For the union is you, and the union is me, so stand up and stand by our union. From its humble beginnings, our union has 
has grown So no working person needs struggle alone But no gain that's been made has been made without cost And together we'll see that no gain's ever lost Take a look at those countries where workers aren't free If it weren't for the unions, where would we be? It's our unions, our unions that defends our rights but our unions as strong as our will is to fight for the union is you and the union is me so stand up and stand by our union would you choose to go back working 12 hours a day would you choose to toil more and a pittance be paid would you stand with the union against the new right or do you think on your own you can withstand their might the answer is written in our history if it weren't for the union where would we be it's our union our union that defends our rights but our unions as strong as our will is to fight for the union is you so stand up and stand by our union. They say we've got problems and the unions they blame. Well, Franco and Pinochet, they said the same. If our union they weaken, if our union they break, then where's our defense from becoming enslaved? So would you choose bondage above liberty? And if it weren't for the union, where would we be? It's our union, our union that defends our rights. But our union's as strong as our will is to fight. For the union is you, and the union is me. So stand up and stand by our union. It's our union, our union that defends our rights. But our union's as strong as our will is to fight. For the union is you, and the union is me. So stand up and stand by our union. I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same. Abusing my power full of resentment. Resentment that turned into a deep depression. Found myself screaming in the hotel room. Lucifer was all around me. So I kept running. 
found my safe haven. I was trying to convince myself the stripes I got. Making myself realize where my foundation was. In the room, and I run. But while my loved ones was fighting a continuous war back in the city, I was entering a new one. A war that was based on apartheid and discrimination. Hey, on my mama, nigga. R.I.P. Pat Dog. I'ma be the greatest to ever do this shit. On my mama, though, like, on the dead homies. Hey, Soundway, turn this shit up, nigga. Turn this shit up. Soundway, turn this shit up, nigga. Tell me who the bitch nigga hating on me Jumping on my dick but this dick ain't free To pimp a butterfly another classic CD Get all lullaby for everyone they MC Blow, 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 blow Nigga now R.I.P. My diligence is only meant to write your eulogy All's my life I has to fight, nigga All's my life I Trips like yeah, Nazareth. I'm fucked up, homie. You fucked up, but if God got us, then we gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. We gon' be alright. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. Huh? We gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright. Uh. And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut Bahamas, I be looking at you from the face down One Mac 11, even room with the face down Skimming, and let me tell you about my life Painkillers only put me in a twilight With pretty pussy and Benjamin is the highlight I tell my mama I love her, but this what I like Lord knows, 20 of them in my Chevy Tell them all to come and get me, reaping everything I sow So my karma come in heaven, no preliminary hearings On my record, I'm a motherfucking gangster in silence for the record uh. Tell the world I knew it's too late Boys and girls, I think I've gone great Trying to side my face is all day Won't you please believe when I say Wouldn't you know We've been hurt, been down before Nigga, when our pride was low Looking at the world like where do we go Nigga, and we hate poor poor Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door My knees getting weak and my gun might blow But we gon' be alright right. Nigga, we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright We gon' be alright Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' Motherfucker, you can live at the mall I can see the evil, I can tell it I know it's illegal, I don't think about it I deposit every other zero Thinking of my partner Put the candy painted on the Rico Digging in my pocket Ain't a profit big enough to feed you Every day my logic Get another dollar just to keep you In the presence of your Chico ah! I don't talk about it, be about it Every day I see cool. If I got it, then you know you got it Heaven, I can reach you Pet dog, pet dog, pet dog, my dog, that's all Pick back and chat, I trap the back for y'all I rap, I black on tracks, so rest assured My rights, my wrongs, I write till I'm right with God When you know We've been hurt, been down before 
Nigga, when our pride was low Looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate po-po Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door My knees getting weak and my gun might blow But we gon' be alright in my prayers I remember you was conflicted misusing your influence sometimes I did the same abusing my power full of resentment resentment that turned into a deep depression found myself screaming in the hotel room I didn't want to self-destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me. So I went running for answers. Okay, that was Kendrick Lamar going to be all right. The life of somebody who's being raised in an apartheid state, the constant battle against the police, the wishes and the possibilities of Okay, this is the B. You're listening to Labor and Love Radio, the show where we tell you how it is. If one person had got a dollar, they didn't work for someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. How do you think paid? The economy has to keep expanding, which means that workers have to keep working harder and harder and harder. to make the people's money work. Esther's money work. Here's something off anti-work. Capitalism equals greed, it says. AT&T lobbied hard for Trump's tax cuts and got $22 billion to, quote-unquote, create tens of thousands of jobs. Cut 42,000 jobs, gave investors $44 billion in dividends, and gave its ex-CEO $64 million pension. AT&T, all the while it provided 90% work. This is a website I happen on. I'm not sure how it happened. But 
Here are some of the comments. This is just workers who comment on their jobs. Should I have gone to work today? Probably. But I'm pissed. After 10 years of working in food service, decided to start over in a new industry. Got a job with a big financial institution in my area. I'd heard nothing but great things before I applied. And up until today, this largely rang true with me. I thought must be pretty important if I have to be in early. They gave us notice, so I was well prepared to be there. Today was the meeting, and God, was I disappointed. Nothing but an hour of listening to this guy talk about, well, nothing really. The executive didn't seem like he had anything planned. The only thing I can really note about the meeting was his mention of developing AI systems, which he not so subtly hinted at a way to be eliminated. Worse was when an illustrated face kept popping out of the exec's virtual background. And somebody asked him what it was. Turns off his virtual background, and there he is, sitting in his home office. I had to go to work three hours early for this oh-so-important meeting, but it apparently wasn't so important that the man who made it important couldn't leave his own house to be on site. Attached is the email I sent to my supervisor explaining why I won't be returning to my shift today. Should I have sent this email? Probably not. No doubt it'll bite me in the ass later, but I don't care right now. Here's some comments. Anything they ask you to do, make sure you're paid for it. Come in three hours early. I either leave three hours early or get paid an extra three. Can I stay an extra 15 minutes to clear up Task? Sure, I'll write. Fifteen in a day's time. Companies don't care about anything but the almighty dollar. So start spending their, speaking their language. Make them pay for everything you can. Another comment. Back when I was a corporate lackey, I found that at least with my company, the higher up the individual was on the totem pole, the less useful the meetings ended up being. Take them out to be more important. Okay, so that's uh, anti-work. 
two-week notice and received a dressing down. Basically, I currently work as a technician, but I was given an amazing opportunity to quality assurance at another lab. Seriously. Well, my current boss was not happy. In a department meeting in front of everyone, making passive-aggressive comments towards me. He even insinuated I was smart enough to be a manager. And today he and I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting where he straight up said, how are you going to handle being a manager when you don't have any supervisory experience? Every supervisor ever started out with no experience in one point. How am I any different? basically scolding me for not dedicating my life to the company like he did. He asked why I didn't want to stick around and work my way up. And I told him, why would I stay and wait when I could leave and get the opportunity now? He also kept repeating what if I was unhappy or hated my I just told him sometimes you have to take a risk to get a reward. He also at one point mentioned how the company is barely making any money, so they really couldn't hire employees with better wages. As if that's going to make me stay? Not sure why he mentioned short the whole thing was gross and as someone who is almost 30 I haven't been scolded like that for a long time really put a bad taste in my mouth and to end it all he had the audacity to say if you're not happy you can always come back Okay, let's uh, play some music. Starbucks employees walk out on business. Busy Red Cup Day event. Fox News. Video. Picture of Howard Schultz. Starbucks workers united the group that's behind the unionizing called for a walkout during the company's Red Cup event. One of the busiest days of the year for the coffee giant. Starbucks, who order holiday drinks, received a reusable Red Cup. Workers United told Fox Business that the 
expect upward of 5,000 employees, 200 stores to take part in the strike. It's been dubbed the Red Cup Rebellion. Largest Starbucks strike in history. Check and see how that worked out. Dr. Howard Schultz, defendant, CEO of Starbucks. Schultz. It seems to me that you like you play again, and it's usually me to be the first. They tore me apart. They used me for Well, Howard Schultz isn't coming through. Okay, well, let's, let's just say Howard Schultz defended Starbucks as we expect him to. Okay. Get that later for you.
Okay, I keep trying to get Howard Schultz, but he's not coming. In labor history, two. A really excellent show about U.S. mostly healthcare workers in I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1995. That was the day that healthcare workers in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, walked off the job in a wildcat strike. Budget cuts in Alberta, under the leadership of Premier Ralph Klein, had hit healthcare particularly hard. A massive restructuring plan called for deep cuts, privatization, and reducing services. As part of this trend, the Calgary Regional Health Authority had decided to contract out the work of 120 laundry personnel. The workers were members of the Canadian Union of Public Employees, Local 8. The laundry workers walked off the job in protest. Soon, they were joined in solidarity on the picket line by housekeepers, orderlies, nurses, and other hospital workers. Eight hospitals across the city were impacted by the walkout. Community members joined in and marched on the picket lines, frustrated by the government cuts. Twice, the Labor Relations Board ordered the workers to go back to their jobs. Twice, the workers refused. The strike spread to Calgary, where more than 2,500 healthcare workers walked off the job. In Edmonton, workers stood ready to strike. Talk of a general strike began to circulate. In Calgary, the union met with management for a 19-hour marathon bargaining session, and the 10-day strike ended. The health authority agreed to wait eight months before contracting out any labor. Workers were given severance packages, and the government stopped any further cuts to the industry. But the settlement did little to appease the dissatisfaction of the healthcare workers. The strike had also shown the potential connections between workers' issues on the job and the concerns of community members. The cutbacks hurt both labor and the general public and brought them together to stand in solidarity. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1927. That was the day that the Holland Tunnel, connecting New York City and New Jersey, opened for traffic. Before the tunnel, the only way to cross the Hudson River from the city to New Jersey was by ferry. City officials decided to build a tunnel to alleviate congestion. But they had a problem. All those cars driving underground would cause a potentially deadly buildup of carbon monoxide. There had to be a way to ventilate the tunnel. Engineer Clifford Holland came up with the solution. Big fans located at each end of the tunnel could draw fresh air into the passage. The giant fans were nearly as tall as a 10-story building. In honor of his engineering work, the tunnel was named after Holland. But he did not live to see the completion of his vision. The tunnel also owes its existence to unionized labor. The workers who performed the backbreaking work of digging New York's vehicle and subway tunnels called themselves 
the Sandhogs. In a 1983 book about the Union, written by Paul Delaney, a worker recounted his memories of the Holland Project, saying, quote, The turnover in workers was unbelievable. Men would work an hour or maybe a shift, and they'd never be seen on the job again. Even the strongest men were tired after 15 or 20 minutes in the air. And there was always the worry about being fired. If a man went for more than two sips of water during a shift, he was told to collect his wages and go home. 14 workers died on the project. More than a billion cars have made the trip under the Hudson River since it first opened. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1938. That was the day that the National Federation of Telephone Workers was founded in New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, the union is known as the Communication Workers of America and represents 700,000 workers in a wide range of communication fields. Attempts to organize the telephone industry began as early as 1910 by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. By the end of the decade, the IBEW had more than 200 telephone unions. Growth in the number of union members in the telephone industry was greatly impeded due to World War I. During the war, President Woodrow Wilson issued an order to, quote, hereby take possession and assume control and supervision of each and every telegraph and telephone system and every part thereof within the jurisdiction of the United States. He placed control of the industry under the authority of the Postmaster General. After the war ended, telephone companies increasingly installed company unions as a way to control their workers' organizing efforts. Their aim was to stave off unionism from outside organizations. Nearly all of the IBEW locals lost their membership to company unions. But when Congress passed the Wagner Act in 1935, a new surge of independent unionism began in the telephone industry. In 1938, 31 organizations joined together in New Orleans to form the National Federation of Telephone Workers. It was a loose association of locally independent unions. But by 1947, it became clear that the union would have to form a strong national presence to negotiate with the nationwide companies and the Communication Workers of America was born. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. There's uh, Labor History in Two. There's a little break. More or less famous. Very best in Mexican food, enchiladas, tamales, burritos, chilaquiles. You don't have to have got vegetarian versions of each of those people that are vegetarian. Most of all, you go in there. Makes you feel like you're still in Mexico. I know that sounds silly, but it's really true. You get that feeling. 
Anyway, go on down and see if I'm selling my program and now called San Jalisco. That's a whole other story. Anyway, go on down, tell them that little blurb about testing You missed Sean Fain's comments on Tesla. He said, we can beat anybody. It's going to come down to the people that work for him, meaning Elon, deciding if they want their fair share or if they want Elon to fly himself to outer space at their expense. I believe it's doable it being unionizing Tesla in the future. Fain said the UAW failed at unionizing Tesla before because there was corruption, which we talked about at length, coziness with the bosses, and bad contracts. Fain said, hopefully we get down there, we organize them, Tesla, and they become UAW members, and they can realize the full power of membership and get an even better contract. Separately from Auto News, Sean Fain said there could be a nasty fight ahead to organize workers at Ford's jointly owned EV battery plants. Stellantis and GM agreeing to these terms in effect buys them labor peace as we move forward, but at Ford, in contrast, that could get ugly. Because the automakers set up joint ventures with their battery partners, those plants are supposed to be separate entities, not under the master contract that the UAW has with the big three. But there's some sort of hybrid deal in these tentative contracts that GM and Stellantis have agreed to. GM and Stellantis employees can be leased to these joint ventures while remaining employed by the big three. That way they don't take a pay cut in the future and they also agreed to making it quicker and easier for new workers at those joint ventures to unionize in the future. Then, if they do, at that time, they would be covered under the existing master agreement. So for now, it sounds like Ford is holding the line when it comes to its battery joint venture, trying to keep that out of the UAW crossfire. But given that GM and Stellantis have already conceded on that front, it may be a tough road ahead for Ford. Fain also said he's confident the UAW will have organized workers at all of the Detroit 3 joint battery ventures by the time they reach the table again again in 2028. Ford's holdout here on the battery front really doesn't surprise me at all given they're one of the only legacy companies to break out its separate EV financials. They clearly know what it's going to take to make EVs profitably. They're not anywhere near making that happen. And the UAW roping that joint venture into the master contract obviously is not going to help the matter. However, when it comes to Tesla, this posturing by Sean Fain has already been met with some backlash. From Business Insider, Workers at Tesla told Insider they'd be hard-pressed to join a union. Nine Tesla workers told Insider the strike was far from a topic of conversation at Tesla, and few factory workers were even aware of the UAW's initial demands. So yes, on the surface, it's good to hear, but the truth is, most likely Tesla employees, if they're smart, this isn't something you're going to discuss at the factory on the floor if you're going to discuss it at all. Despite pay differences right now, seven Tesla workers told Insider they would not want to work in a unionized factory and predicted the UAW would struggle to find footing at Tesla. One worker said Tesla still very much has a startup culture and that's a lot different than a union culture. 
I think people join Tesla because they want to work hard, they want to push themselves, they want to find ways to stand out by going above and beyond, and that's difficult to do in a union. Three workers said Tesla already probably knows how to weed out pro-union employees. That kind of person probably would not even make it through the interview process, according to a Tesla engineer. Other workers told Insider they would not jump ship even for a better pay package at a unionized company. So basically people at Tesla telling uh, researchers what they want to hear. Oh no, I don't want a union. I, oh, I don't want more money. I would never join a union. Tesla employees speak out. Problem for Elon Musk in Sweden. Sign union contract with the people who make the cars. Okay. Now, Gaza is a terrible thing for all of us. Hey, fun updates. Death toll in Gaza is around 12,000 people. That doesn't mean they 12,000 Gazans tragically died. That means Israel has murdered 12,000 Gazans. Let's get it right. Um, almost half of those are children. Uh, there's now been a mass exodus displacement. About 200,000 of uh, Gazans have left northern Gaza. Um, there are now humanitarian pauses, which are just sort of like moments where, you know, um, the sort of grip around your neck kind of like loosens a little bit. You ca gasp a breath and then bombing continues. Um, the U.S. has said, this is interesting, like what's the ultimate goal for Gaza? The U.S. has said they want the Palestinian Authority to take over Gaza. And Israel's like, <laughs> what? Like, we never said that. Um, a senior member of Benjamin Netanyahu's government said that Gaza could not survive as an independent entity and Palestinians sh should agree to voluntary immigration. That on top of the fact that you've seen Israeli soldiers basically like with the Israeli flag on the shores of Gaza, like on the beach being like, here we are again. Even some folks hanging the uh, pride flag in just the most disgusting show of pinkwashing, uh, the most horrible bad faith um, interpretation of gay rights. Um, but the big news is hospitals, right? So multiple hospitals are under attack. The Al-Shifa Hospital in northern Gaza is like one of these main hospitals because thousands of people have been sheltering outside of it. Not anymore um, because it has been under, under siege. Um, there are about 650 patients there, 200 to 500 health workers, 1,500 displaced people seeking shelter there. It's been running out of fuel and electricity. Babies that were previously in incubators, if you've seen images, they are now wrapped in blankets huddled together. To prevent them from dying, and a few already have. Um, however, Israel claims that Al Shifa 
is a base for Hamas and that there's a bunker underneath it and that the babies were using the incubators as human shields from the human um i had it but anyway they just uh anyway so they they can't have the incubators because it's a weapon of war or whatnot and they're like baby hamas you know they're preemie hamas is pretty much what it is um here is a doctor norwegian doctor norwegian surgeon dr mads gilbert from streaming, sending this video from Al Shifa Hospital, imploring President Biden and leaders of the world to do something. Take a look. President Biden, President Biden, President Biden, Mr. Blinken, Mr. Blinken, can you hear me? Prime ministers and presidents of the European countries, can you hear me? Can you hear the screams from Shifa Hospital, from al Hospital? Can you hear the screams from innocent people, refugees, sheltering, trying to find a safe place, being bombed by the Israeli attack forces this morning inside the hospital? Hospitals that are the temples of humanity and protection. When are you going to stop this? You're all complicit. So that's just chilling. That is just, I mean, Dina, I think we're all waiting for this moment where we're like, oh, we can look back in hindsight and be like, wow, that was crazy. And, um, you know, some people will be like, wow, that was wrong. And then there's most of us who are like, no, it is wrong and it's ongoing. But, uh, the footage we're seeing, the, like, undeniable, like, the <laughs> truth of something like that, you know, beyond the actual bodies themselves, is so chilling to me. Um, and and is just, I mean, like, anyway, I, I don't have words for it. I'm, yeah. yeah. It, it makes you understand how atrocities of the past that we think of as unrepeatable are able to happen. Cause like it's happening right now and we know what we're doing. Like I'm, I'm still on stage doing comedy. Like it doesn't make sense that these horrible things can happen and other people who know it's wrong. Just, it's just, it's unfixable and intractable. We're so powerless and it's just so insane. Absolutely. Um, and it's crazy. Look, I do think that pressure is working and we've seen that it is working. Um, I think people should keep calling. But yeah, the dissonance is just wild and also being incredibly gaslit um, by, you know, Israeli propaganda. And here's Biden being asked about the hospital. This is, of course, a few days after he said that there's no chance for a ceasefire. But then when one is asked about the hostages, he said. We're doing everything we can. Like, there was a long pause and, like, kind of a, like, uh, they're probably dead. I probably can't do anything. I've already committed a bunch more weapons. I'm asking Congress for $320 million more dollars. Um, we're doing everything we can, just in one breath, you know, or, like, you know, 12 or however many he needs to do to, like, sort of, you know, keep himself alive for the next year. Um, here he is being asked about Al-Shifa Hospital. Have you expressed any specific concerns to Israel on that, sir? Well, uh, you know, I uh, have not been reluctant in expressing my concerns what's going on. Um, and it's my hope and expectation that uh, there will be uh, less intrusive action relative to the hospital. I remain somewhat hopeful, but the hospital must be protected. 
less intrusive action. It is my hope that there will be less intrusive. Like, what a. Yes! Uh, Dark Brandon rises. <laughs> I am. I swear to God, Dina, like, watching this to me, like, I, you know, even more of my. <laughs> Like, more of my soul just sort of rotted out. Like, watching him so self-aware about the fact that he's going to do fuck all, the fact that he is so impotent, the fact that he won't stand up to Netanyahu, he won't uh, keep weapons, uh, rescind weapons, he won't, you know, that Lloyd Austin, General Lloyd Austin, is helping with plans to roll into Gaza, has been advising the Israeli military, and he knows he's full of shit. And the media, they're asking a few questions, and then they sort of back off, you know, like a little bit of a retreating wave situation. The tide goes in, then it goes out again, and we all forget about it. But, like, people are, I don't know what else to, you know, I am, like, I'm so fucking mad, and I, this guy is so powerless and he's so weak and he knows it and he's so goddamn old and i've been refraining from saying he's old like who cares if he's old ah, he does all he has to do is not start world war three and there now he started it right so yeah. i don't know um how my do you read that please my favorite was the clip of when the reporter was like is there a possibility of a ceasefire and he was like no no possibility you know which clip i'm talking about yeah it was it was also, it was the most alert I had ever seen him. <laughs> like, he was just, um, most of the time he seems like he's kind of out of it, but on the ceasefire question, he was just, like, really on the ball. Um, yeah, and then he danced himself away. He was like, oh, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm not <laughs> answering any more questions about dead babies. Um, look, uh, we talked about it last week uh, with Max Elbaum, but I have been um, not not just disappointed, but, like, when I saw the headline about babies and in incubators dying, I was like, I can't, how, how am I going to vote for this dude? How does he expect to seek our vote? This is utter bullshit. And like, and I don't go around in this country as an Arab or Muslim American, right? You are someone who does, like you go on stage. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I've been thinking about comics, especially because every night you go up or you go up often and you're like, you can't, you know, or if you're Palestinian American, what are you gonna? What are you gonna hide that fact? And your entire your your religion, your ethnicity, your nationality is being demonized right now. So I, anyway, any thoughts on that? I've just that's been sort of weighing on me. I mean, that's not new. I guess I'm not shocked just because it's kind of been indoctrinated. Like everyone in this country, I feel like doesn't see people in the Middle East as like. I hate to say it, but like I think people implicitly think of people in the Middle, Middle East as like. Oh yeah, they're the ones that are supposed to die. Like we've been in war, like in war in the Middle East my entire life, and no one. There's never protests. There's never, like I've watched people just openly, sort of implicitly, be racist about it without even without even thinking of themselves as racist. It's just because, like, yeah, that's what we do there. There's war in the Middle East. That's just what it is. Like they don't consider that there's people there who don't want to be at war. So I can't say I'm shocked by any of it. By any of it, what I am shocked by, pleasantly surprised is this is the most I've ever seen anybody speak up for Arabs in my life. And so that's really cool to see, but at the same time, it tells me like, oh, things must be really bad for all these people to be speaking up. But also I think society has, has progressed, so that's nice. Totally. I mean, you know, at the, at the one on the same, by the same token, like I have very little words, I'm so angry, I'm so pissed at, you know, the media and the, you know, political establishment here and all the warmongers and all the war profiteers, but 
Ilhan Omar is going to be introducing a resolution to basically block $320 million of aid to Israel. It won't pass, but it's important. Like, at least there are squad members standing up. Um, at least there are massive outpourings uh, and solidarity with Palestinians and saying, we want a ceasefire. There are people using their platforms, um, uh, like, you know, young folks, some kid that I don't even, Red Veil, I don't even know who this kid is. Um, and he's like a musician calling, asking for his audience members to call their representatives. Like that kind of shit is really heartening. So again, there's a lot of dissonance. It is wild, but it's like, this is unfolding before our very eyes. There are mass graves being dug in the hospital. There are bodies on the streets. People in wheelchairs are on foot trying to leave Gaza in what is being called by Isra the Israeli, I think, Minister of Agriculture, which is weird, calling it Gaza's Nakba. This is the Gaza Nakba, which basically means we know this is mass displacement, which, by the way, for those of you who don't love the word genocide, mass displacement is part of genocide. Armenian genocide, mass displacement. Trail of Tears, part of American Indian genocide. Let's not forget. What's going on, Frantifa? If you haven't already, subscribe to this channel right now. That is Francesca Fiorentini with her point of view, her ideas about what's going on in Israel. And uh, seems like it's pretty clear. We're watching a massacre. We're watching a prepared army, a prepared, trained army about conduct a massacre. Massacre meaning people who can't get away from it. Uh, okay. Wanted to talk about Julie Sue Sarah Nelson. These are Labor people. Julie Sue is the acting deputy secretary of labor. Sarah Nelson is a airline union. Airline labor. Sarah Nelson. Association of flight attendants, CWA. Sarah, it's great to see you again. Thanks for the time. Great to see you, Carl. Uh, I guess the first question is, do you think the carriers are prepared for the crowds? Because we've had back office IT issues. We've had staffing issues. We always have weather. How do you think things shape up this year? Yeah, so I want to congratulate the TSA administrator for staffing, staffing up at TSA and making sure that they could be paid more so they could attract TSA workers. But that's still a lot of people to process through those security lines. So we encourage people to get to the airport early. And as far as the airlines go, we've been really pushing on them to make sure that they're putting the infrastructure in place at the airlines to be able to respond when something goes wrong. Um, so there is more staffing there in the background and a little bit more attention on the scheduling provisions. But we're still also flight attendants in the middle of contract negotiations right now and negotiating around some of these issues that affect both crew and passengers, making sure that we can get to proper rest so that we can get to our next flight and help the passengers get on their way. So we're not all the way there to fixing these issues yet, but I think that we're in a much better position than we were last year. Uh, to that point, aren't we at an interesting juncture regarding the union and American tonight? 
Yes, American and uh, United Alaska, not very far behind them, but American Airlines, 99.5% uh, strike vote with the flight attendants, just out picketing with them yesterday uh, worldwide. And uh, United and American out there with them, too, uh, telling these airlines that they're going to have to compete to the highest standards, just like the auto workers did recently with the big three. Uh, it's time for flight attendants to get paid. American Airlines flight attendants have not seen a raise since 2019. And uh, in, under the Railway Labor Act, these contract negotiations can go on forever, but there's only so much that we can take. So uh, we're calling the question now, and we're going to make these carriers pay. It's been interesting to watch the back and forth between really United to a large degree and the FAA about air traffic control and the ability to keep planes, keep pushing tin. How does that, where does that stand right now, would you say? Well, look, uh, what people really need to understand is that the understaffing of air traffic control is the result of more than two decades of extensions of bills, uh, CRs instead of full funding bills, uh, government shutdowns, uh, so that staffing could not be maintained, so that you can't attract people to this job. Because why would you come into a volatile position where you know you're going to have to work a highly stressful job and you may actually be required to come to work without getting a paycheck if there's a government shutdown? And every three months, there's an extension on, on the funding. No plan for the long term to rebuild infrastructure, to do the hiring, the training that's needed. So they're severely understaffed. And what that leads to is a cut in capacity because what the FAA is not going to do is to run an unsafe system. So they'll tell the airlines to cut back on capacity. That will raise ticket prices. And it also makes it much more difficult for the operation and for people to be able to recover. That's what we're talking about here. It's not really the current DOT or FAA's fault. <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> but it is, it is a responsibility of Congress to get this bill passed. And they're doing the same thing again, which is not good because we're already stretched too thin. Yeah, uh, it is a very complex business in part because of the safety importance that you point out. Talk a little bit about Julie Sue. Julie Sue is, I brought her up because she's the sec acting secretary of labor. And um, he's been secretary, acting secretary of labor since March 11th. Uh, Biden officially nominated Sue to be his permanent appointee to fill the position. Biden administration plans on keeping Sue in an acting capacity. Her com confirmation has stalled in the Senate. Okay, well, there's one good thing. Okay, there's one good thing. The Republicans don't like her. She was born in Wisconsin. Um... Her mother and father came on a cargo ship from China. Father's from Taiwan. He's from Cerritos, California. Why was she opposed to business groups and congressional Republicans? They criticized her leadership of California's unemployment agency during the COVID-19 academic. When over a hundred, over a million legitimate applicants had their claims declared or frozen. 
while up to $31 billion was sent to fraudulent claims. How much she had to do with that, who knows? She enforced the uh, controversial California Employment Law, AB5. She was confirmed... Now, this is about Julie Sue and the former um, Secretary of Labor was uh, Walsh, and for some reason he left. Sue's nomination faced challenges on both sides of the aisle due to the reluctance of Senator Joe Manchin to support her. Anyway, she's waiting for current, but she runs. She she reminds us of the, of the importance of a body known as a national labor labor relations board. National labor relations board. Um. A renewed interest in organizing together with a refusal of many employers to recognize the unions their employers wanted triggered strikes in support of the organizing drives. By August 1933, the situation had become so severe that President Franklin Roosevelt created a National Labor Relations Board to bring about compliance with the law and mediate labor disputes. Early in 1934, Roosevelt authorized the NLB to conduct union representation elections and handle violations of NIRA code. <coughs> codes. Never really had any power Faced with mounting labor disputes, Congress in 1934 passed Joint Public Resolution Number 44, authorizing the President to establish a new board as part of the NIRA. The board, called the National Labor Relations Board, would later be known as Old NLRB. Unlike the tripartite NLB, this old NLRB was composed of three public members, was able to achieve compliance from many cooperative employers in the public spirit of the era. Now this is this is the board where typically uh, conflicts between labor and management end up. And in a Republican administration, NLRB members are conservative, anti-union businessmen. And so it's been very hard for the government, for the NLRB, to be proactive in these situations. Now, though, the NLRB is, has 
people with more uh, tolerance for unions. And one of them is Julie Sue. Julie Sue is been an off and on, you know, union leader uh, for for employees. And perhaps she'll get her. There was one series of uh, thefts that she prosecuted that kind of made her famous and put her on the map um, regarding uh, um, traffic workers. I have to look that up. I'd like to look at the time. Well, this is the B, and it's 11.40, huh? How did that happen? Here talking to you, bringing you news, opinion, definitely opinion, news, opinion, point of view, education, starting a new, uh, a new feature this week, Jason, anti-war, conversations of, these are conversations writing emails, other people listening to them and commenting on what they say. So it's a con it's conversation. Something that's there anyway. People are talking about all this stuff anyway. More personal. I have to read more of those. Gotta go out with something nice. This is the B reminding you that one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. So. I'm looking, what I'm looking for now is Kerry Miraji playing the Internacional. I like to go out with that song. There she is. Thank you. 
Face McRat. <laughs> Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop, streaming live on mutinyradio.fm. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be a stand-up comic in the five shakasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene. This all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing two to five dollars at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio Studio and Gallery Performance Space, two seven eight one Twenty First Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep Mission. Every Monday at six p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you. Namaste. Tuesday used to be the most unlikely night for fun. But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday, 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street. Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up. Hey, kids. It's your pal, Spider-Man. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Mortimer Spiderman. When I'm not swinging through the senior facility, best in Mysterio at Boggle, or getting beautifully plowed by the Rhino, I'm headed down to Mutiny Radio at the corner of 21st and Florida. They got some schlemiels doing the laugh laugh. But hey, don't be a schmuck and donate two to five dollars on... Hold, hold on, what is this? Let me get my glasses. The print's too small. Hold on. Venmo? That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown it on. It's nap time. Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Bar on Dolores at 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of laughter for free. And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it'll become a Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please, reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh. Happy hour the, is when the comedy is the cheapest. Happy hour, the most free two hours of hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live. <laughs> 2781 21st Street. Come down, be in the audience. Dog friendly. Dog friendly. We are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog friendly. Ooh, a dog party. Ain't no party like a dog party. <laughs> dog party at Mutiny Radio. Every Friday, dog party at Mutiny Radio. Happy hour. Two seven eight one twenty first Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. FM. Here in SF. 
Calling all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement. Pack up your pins and patches and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Vest Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress to impress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed vests right here at the Pacific Northwest Vest Fest. With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing for your scene. Metal, thrash, Walmart, high-vis, and everything in between. All in one place. One day only. Unless it's a jacket. If you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere else. Never pay for fabric you don't need and ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price. Daddy, Daddy, what are we gonna do today? At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, over there at the parklet in front of Atlas Cafe for Titans of Comedy. That That's Titans of Comedy. Apparently, they've got great sandwiches, cafe drinks, and even some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. My new Uncle Blake says you smell like a brewery. What did I say about interrupting me? Anywho, right here on 20th and Alabama in the Deep Mission, paired with tasty comedy from Bay Area's favorite comics. For free! Every Saturday. Or at least the two Saturdays a month that the court mandates I have to see you. It's sunshine! And even in the drizzle, but not too much. Hey, Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho. You take it with the freezers. Reservations. Reservations on Eventbrite. Fucking. L.S.D. Fab. Acid and fapping. Fapping and acid. Acid fapping. Fapping and acid. Fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco I was just leaving the theater
Yeah. <laughs>